podcast where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about something that I know most of us struggle with at some point in our journey, and that is dealing with what other people think about our kids who have anxiety or OCD. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got something to say. Some of those people, it doesn't matter. Some of those are educators and some of them are people that we really trust and value. And so it can really impact us. Now, before we get started today, it's all going to be about your mindset, your perceptions, a lot of internal work about how you cope with this stuff. But I do want to point you in the right direction for some additional support So if you are struggling and a lot of times people will reach out to me and say, Natasha, do you have something that I could just share with other people who don't get my child's anxiety or don't get my child's OCD? Or do you have a podcast for schools for my teacher who doesn't get my kid? Can I refer them to something? So before I roll up my sleeves and really get into your mindset and your perceptions, I do want to give you some additional resources because I did make a podcast solely on those topics. So if you want an episode that explains OCD to people who don't get it. So I made it for kids, your other kids who don't understand it, especially older ones who can listen to a podcast, partners, family, and friends. That's episode 15 for OCD. I made the exact same type of episode for just anxiety. And that's episode 49. The one for school and school administrators is episode 45. So those are some good episodes to listen to as well. But today is all about you and how you cope with these things. So I have four areas I want to get into. So the first one is why does it matter to you? We want to tackle that first because a lot of times people will post in my private Facebook group, or they'll reach out and they'll talk to me and they'll say, how do I get them to understand my child's anxiety? Or they're not seeing what I'm seeing. And it's so annoying. You know, they say, well, he doesn't act that way for me. And it's so frustrating. So the first question you want to ask yourself is why does it matter? Now there are some legitimate reasons why it does matter. So if my child's teacher does not understand their anxiety or OCD, that's a big problem if it's impacting their schoolwork or their, their ability to function in the school environment. So I am going to go to bat and I am going to work really hard at getting my child's teacher to understand the anxiety or OCD. If there are accommodations or behaviors that I want changed due to that. Now, let's say I have a best friend and she doesn't get my child's anxiety and she minimizes it. And she says, well, yeah, my daughter does that too. Or yeah, don't they all do that? Um, or if you have a family member who doesn't watch your child, but maybe you talk to, or you see periodically and they're kind of like, why does he do that? That's so weird. I don't understand why he does that. Or maybe you coddle him too much. You know, they, people give opinions that are not solicited and they're uneducated some of the time. Now in that situation, why does it matter? So If you have a friend who doesn't get it, why does it matter? Do you need to prove to your friend that your child is having some acute, intense anxiety? And 
there is no right or wrong answer to this, but you just want to ask yourself, why does it matter? Because sometimes people say, well, it matters because I don't want them to think I'm a bad parent. Well, now we're getting into the realm of we care too much about what people think. And I was there. I was completely there. I had major social anxiety. And um, when my first child, my first of three came into the world, I was an infant and toddler mental health specialist. And so I was in this particular world and I had a toddler who had mental health needs and I was the provider and I was assessing people, but I also needed services for myself, for my child. And at the time I was very insecure. I was a new parent and I hadn't dealt with my social anxiety, just dealt with that in the last few years. And so I was overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, my colleagues are going to think I'm a bad parent or, oh my gosh, am I doing this correctly? And I really want their approval. So I get that. Um, I've come a long way because now I could care less. It took a while though. And I still hit bumps where I worry about what people think, but I'm aware of it. I work really hard talking myself down and saying, I don't really need her approval or I don't really need her to understand that. And that's okay. So ask yourself, why does it matter to you? What is the end goal? Why are you trying so hard to convince someone that your child really has bad OCD or really struggles with their anxiety? We really become better advocates for our kids. We become better for our kids when we stop caring what other people think, because then instead of being tuned into everyone around us in public when our child's having a meltdown or tuned into how our child looks at a social gathering instead of what's going on with our child, we are distracted. We're distracted because we're so hyper-focused on how other people are perceiving this and perceiving us versus how we're handling it and how our child's handling it, what our child needs, not what other people need. I'm going to get into that a little bit further when we go down, but I had to learn very quickly with my oldest daughter to not care because she had major sensory issues along with her anxiety. I remember we went to my husband's sister's wedding and my daughter, who was about, I think five at the time, she was not going to wear a dress that was going to be itchy and uncomfortable. She wasn't going to wear tight, uncomfortable shoes that she never wore before. And so she did for like two seconds. And then the rest of the time she wore this like sundress that looked really raggedy and old because it was the only thing that felt good on her skin. And she wore flip-flops and everyone else is walking around in their very fancy clothes. And here's my kid wearing this raggedy sundress and some flip-flops as soon as the ceremony was over. And I had to start learning to not care. Okay. They may not get it and that's okay. I still had major problems and, and now I legitimately don't care. Like there is nothing that my children can do that I'm going to be embarrassed about per se, if it's their anxiety and OCD, because other people aren't going to understand and that's okay. So you want to really work on not caring what people think in general, because if you have a child with anxiety or OCD, it's just one of those qualities, those internal qualities that will really hold you back. I mean, you can be a parent who doesn't, who you're not raising a child with any kind of special needs and you can care a lot about what other people think. And that's really only going to harm you. I, I think it really holds you back and it holds your happiness back in life when you care about what other people think. But when it comes to anxiety and OCD, 
it can impact your kids too. So it's a good thing to work on. I actually have a social anxiety class and a lot of times people will say, well, you know, I'm not socially anxious. And I think people misunderstand that. And social anxiety isn't about being either really friendly or not friendly. Social anxiety is about caring too much about what people think. That's like the core fear around social anxiety, not whether you're outgoing or not outgoing or introverted or extroverted or afraid to socialize versus not afraid to socialize. It's not about that at all. It's about being way, way too concerned about what people think being consumed by it. So I do have a social anxiety class that's online, which is at anxioustollers.teachable.com slash P slash crush social anxiety. I know that's a mouthful, but if you go to anxioustollers.teachable.com, you'll see it there. And that's actually my only class that is made for parents who want to take it for themselves or kids who directly want to take it. So I made that after I worked on my own social anxiety and was like, you know, other people don't need to struggle either. And if people, if I had just read or took a class that told me about social anxiety in this way, then I would have saved myself decades of pain and suffering. So I never found a class like that. So I made my own and a lot of people are getting their beat back because they're taking that class. So you can check that out because you really want to stop caring about what people think. But a lot of you maybe don't have that issue except in this realm, because this realm will make that an issue even for those that don't have the concern about what other people think. So my second point is to know that other people are not going to experience your children the way that you are. So some of this is you knowing one, that people aren't going to get it. And two, kids act differently in different places. So if you have a teacher who says, I'm sorry, Mrs. So-and-so, but I just don't see it. That doesn't mean that your child doesn't have issues and that you have to get defensive and upset. You just have to advocate and explain. Yeah you know what? He doesn't show these behaviors in all environments. My son doesn't show his behaviors typically, not the anxiety behaviors in school. They're very disguised and they're very subtle. So I try to make an effort to teach every teacher that he has a little bit about some of his needs and some of his struggles because they're not going to see it. With my Miss Seven, you're not going to see it necessarily, unless she's really having a majorly hard time because she'll stuff it for a while. So a lot of times parents will get very upset that the teacher is not seeing it. Or a lot of times partners, every time I have a, I don't say every time, a huge amount of time when I meet um, a couple for the first time, often the husband will say maybe halfway through the session, I don't see it. Or, yep, she says all that because normally they lay back, not every dad, but there is a stereotype that actually happens in my office and the dad won't say anything for about half the, the initial assessment. And then, and I normally just meet with the parents alone without the child there. So the mom will give me all this information and all, um, the concerns they're having. And then halfway through a lot of times the dad will pipe in and say, yeah, I don't see any of this at home. And then the mom will get frustrated and say, well, it's there. And the dad will say, yeah, she doesn't do that for me. (laughs) And then I feel so bad for the mom because then she gets defensive and feels like she has to like prove it to me. And I'll normally pipe in at that point. And I'll say, you know, kids act differently for different parents. So, and then I'll say stuff like, I hear this all the time. 
this is really common. A lot of dads tend to say that. And I think it's just because kids act differently for different parents. So even if your partner is telling you, I think it's something between you and our kid or something you're doing because he doesn't act that way for me or she doesn't act that way for me. It's not your fault. It's just that kids act differently for different parents and we all approach things differently. So that's another thing that I hear. Like I have to prove this to my partner. Now you do have to get your partner on board because if your partner is making you feel bad, then you guys aren't going to be a team and you're not going to be able to really parent in an effective way because you feel like you have someone who's kind of minimizing your child's struggles all the time. So that can be really frustrating. Now, the third point I want to make is, do you really need people to acknowledge the issue or do you just need them to not make it worse? So you want to ask yourself all of these questions because instead of just going on automatic, getting defensive, um, going on this mission to prove to someone that your child has anxiety or has OCD, you want to ask yourself, why does it matter? Like, what is my intention? Why do I need this person to know? And you might have a legitimate reason. It might be because um, they're not giving my child the things that they need in the classroom, or it might be, well, this is my best friend. And I really feel like she needs to know because I spend so much time with her, or it might be because it's my partner and we can't partner and parent together if my partner doesn't understand it, but it also might, it might stop there. And it might be, uh, it doesn't matter because I really don't care about this friend. They're just an acquaintance, or this is a relative and they really have no impact on my parenting. So you want to ask yourself that first. But then the second thing you want to ask yourself is, do they really need to fully acknowledge this? Or do I just need to make sure that they're not going to make my child's anxiety or OCD worse? So it's kind of like, on a need to know basis. So if it's, if it's the teacher, yeah, maybe I need to have a 504 plan. If I live in the United States, maybe I need to get the therapist to write a clinical summary. You know, sometimes I'll write clinical summaries for the kids that come to me. And sometimes it's because they're going to have a 504 plan. And other times it's not, it's just, Hey, here's a note from my therapist. I just thought maybe this clinical summary could be helpful for you so that you understand what's going on with my kid and what things you may not see in the classroom, but you should know about. So that could help. Also, sometimes you might need to just present your expectations or your rules or your boundaries to other people. And so it's not necessarily that they have to fully understand why your child needs something a certain way. You just have to set those firm boundaries. So I'll give you an example. We went to Texas recently for Thanksgiving and we don't normally travel for Thanksgiving. So normally we're just here by ourselves. We don't have any family in Arizona. And so Thanksgiving is normally kind of like just a nothing holiday. We normally go to like the zoo lights here. And so that's, that's kind of our tradition, but we went to Texas this year and we had a couple of meals with my husband's family and he has an aunt and an uncle that we met with. And so it's my kids, great aunt and great uncle. And the, the uncle is very jokey, you know, like how some people are kind of like jokey in a mean way. So it's kind of like a mean spirited, I pick on you way. Well, that's, that's who he is. And I could totally handle that. People can roast me and I'm confident enough now that it doesn't offend me. I don't always like it because I think mean humor or at the expense of other people is not cool, but I can handle it. 
But Mr. Nine is crazy sensitive, like most of our anxious kids are, and he cannot handle when someone's teasing him on any level. I know this for a fact <laughs> because I normally clean up the mess after that. So we went to the first meal. It was at a restaurant and the uncle sat next to him and right away he kind of honed in on Mr. Nine and started to pick on him in a jokey way. Like everybody can have bread, but not you, you know, and I don't remember exactly what he was doing, but I could tell that my son was just completely shutting down and the uncle didn't have a lot of social cues and he couldn't tell that my son was not finding this funny and he may not have even cared. So the old me, the me with social anxiety and trying to make everybody else happy, but at the expense of myself or my children wouldn't have said anything, but the new me who doesn't care what other people think, I didn't go into trying to explain to him, Hey, listen, my son has anxiety and OCD and he really doesn't like when people make fun of him. So let me explain what that is and why you need to stop. No, because he's not going to get it. And I'm not going to bother explaining that. I'm not here to fully educate him. We don't see this family maybe like once a year, once every five years. So there was no need for that. Instead, I just said, he doesn't like to be teased. So please stop. <laughs> I was very blunt and direct, right? And he did it a couple more times. And I just said, no, honestly, please stop. It's not okay. And even though it might've seemed a little harsh and a little rude, it was important for me to advocate for him and for him to hear that I was going to stand up for him because it, it wasn't fair to him. So we did go out to eat with them the next day and I moved seats and I made sure that they didn't sit next to each other. And the uncle kept wanting to move seats and kept saying, Hey, let's switch seats. Cause he thought maybe I wanted to talk to his wife. And I said, no, I don't want you to sit next to him because you know, he's had enough for one day. <laughs> so I was direct again and the aunt agreed. And she's like, yep, let's just keep them separated. So I made sure that they knew that there was an issue with that and that it was not okay. So that's an example of setting some limits and expectations, but you don't have to explain the whole thing. And in the past, we've had people stay over for Christmas. Uh, my husband's uh, mother sometimes comes over and when my kids were having a lot of sleep issues in the middle of the night, she would get up and she would um, do things that weren't part of what I was doing for their anxiety. So I would say, if you hear them crying, please don't get up. I'm dealing with it. So I didn't go into the details because I knew she wouldn't get it, but I set the boundary. Now the boundaries were sometimes broken. That's a whole nother story in another podcast, but I at least established them. So you want to do what you need to do to advocate for your kids, but you don't always have to get the full approval or acceptance of the people around you. Only if they're directly impacting your kids, like in the school environment. And my last point is a lot, and this kind of plays into what I was just talking about. A lot of times we, instead of focusing on our child, we want to appease the people around us. And so we try to get our kids to behave in a different way instead of trying to get other people to interact with our kids in a different way. So in that situation with my Mr. Nine, I could have said to Mr. Nine, you know, look up and smile and he's just joking with you. It's fine. He's just kidding. And I could have put the expectation on my son and not the uncle. And I think a lot of times we do that as parents, you know, go and give him a hug. You know, I know you're uncomfortable, but go give him a hug. And 
it's because of our own discomfort, our own social discomfort sometimes, or we think this is how a child should behave. And so we're uncomfortable with the fact that they're not behaving in a certain way, but sometimes it's too much too soon. We haven't worked up to that. Like our child's not ready for that. I'll give you an example, another totally different, weird example about Mr. Nine again. So in Arizona, they have this thing called the North Pole Experience. It's actually super cool. We're lucky that we have it in our state because I think people travel like around the country to come to this thing, which is in Flagstaff, Arizona, and the kids go on this bus. And this has nothing to do with my story, by the way. (laughs) I'm just telling you about this very cool thing. So they go on this bus and they go through a portal to the North Pole and then they see Santa and it's very, it's very well done. And Santa's village is like incredibly authentic and beautiful. And it's, it's amazing. Anyway, last, we do it every year because it's such a cool experience and it's only two hours away from us. So it's worth, we could do it in the day. So last year I, we went there and we were lining up to get on the bus and it's in a hotel. So you're in this hotel room, not hotel room. You're in this hotel lobby and we're lining up and my son, I've used this. I use this in some podcast. I can't remember what, I can't remember what episode or what point, but I told this story before where my son was uncomfortable and he didn't want to line up and I thought he was acting out. And eventually he told me that he was uncomfortable because it was crowded and he didn't want to sit on Santa's lap. That was one of the, one of the issues while we were lining up. And so I said to him, you don't have to sit on his lap. I'll make sure that you can sit next to, you can stand next to him and don't worry about it. And so then he was fine. I think I used it as an example of like, not like understanding our kid's behavior or something. I think that might've been why I told that story. Because it looked like he was being oppositional. It looked like he was having a behavior issue when in reality, he was having some anxiety issues. And I talk a lot about that. Like, you know, negative behavior sometimes is anxiety in disguise. So we were back at that lobby and he was doing wonderful. And so as we're walking to the bus, this is something, this is a total side note, but this is something you should do with your kids with anxiety and OCD. You know, Kids and even parents get amnesia for what was. We forget how bad it was. We for, Our kids forget how bad it was. When people make progress, a lot of times this happens in my office, people make progress and I'll be like, oh my gosh, do you remember three months ago, if I had said that to you, you would have totally freaked out. And kids will be like, oh yeah. Or they might say, no, I wouldn't. And I'll be like, yeah. And I'll pull up my notes and I'm like, look, this was our session the first time I met you. And they'll be like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot how upsetting that was for me. And I'll be like, yeah, you've come a long way. So I think sometimes we forget, I should do a whole podcast on that, like celebrating our kids' success, how that is such a key component. We think we celebrate it, but often we don't. We forget to go and do that full circle of like, hey, last year at the same time, you couldn't do this. Do you remember that? So I was in a good mom moment and I remembered how it was the year before. And so as we're walking to get onto the bus, I said to him, do you remember last year? Last year, you couldn't even stand in there. You were like having so much panic. Squishy was so big. That's what we call his anxiety and his OCD. And he at first said, no, I don't remember that. And I said, do you remember you were really worried about Santa and you couldn't stand there and you were like really overwhelmed. And he's like, 
oh yeah, I've totally forgot that. I'm like, look how far you've come. So it's so good to highlight that stuff. Anyway, there's a point to the story. So we do the whole thing, which is a super cool thing. And then we get to the Santa part and he had said to me, mom, so as we got really close, his anxiety started to pop up again. I don't want to sit on Santa's lap. Mom, I don't want to sit on Santa's lap. And I said, you don't have to, don't worry about it. So we get in there and of course, well, not really, of course, I wasn't expecting it because I have a littler child. I have a Miss Seven, but they, they wanted Miss Seven and Mr. Nine to go on the laps, the lap. He doesn't have multiple laps, <laughs> the lap of Santa, one leg for one child, one leg for the other. And so I was about to interject because I heard it. I was putting my jacket down and I heard them say that. And I was about to say, no, 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 he can just stand. He doesn't want to sit. And he was already sitting on his lap. So in that moment, I saw he's handling it well. And I don't think he needs me to run in there and save him because he was tolerating it. So in that instance, I didn't rescue him and I was able to just leave it. And so then like we stood next to him and afterwards, I never went back and said to him, Hey, you know what? I know you were anxious about sitting on Santa's lap, but you did it. And that was awesome. I never did that. And it happened last night and we were all really tired and really cranky when we came home because it was late. But this, this afternoon when he comes home, now that I'm talking about it, I'm going to do that. I'm going to highlight, I'm going to show him the picture and I'm going to highlight how far he's come and how I know that was uncomfortable for him. But the reason why I didn't go in there and tell him that he didn't have to is because he was handling it really well and that he can survive. And so then maybe next year, we won't even have any anxiety around that. So, so my point is sometimes you want to rescue them and sometimes you don't need to, but the main focus is that you're paying attention to your child and your child's cues and not making decisions based on because you care about what other people think. My decision whether to rescue him or not was not because I didn't want to look weird in front of the elves and Santa. It was purely looking at him. I was gauging him. And in that moment, I was looking at him. Do I see panic on his face? Nope. He seems like he's okay. He's even talking to Santa. Good. I'm leaving it. It wasn't about other people. It was about him. And that's a hard shift. That's a hard shift to do because I think often we are so consumed about what other people think that we put our kids needs second, not all the time, but I know I did that a lot. I did that a lot because I was way too consumed about what other people thought. Now, no offense. I could care less. I could care less because my kids comfort and their battle with anxiety and OCD is more important than what you think about it. So it's a good mind shift. And sometimes we're not willing to work on our own issues about maybe our self-confidence and, you know, what other people think. But when it comes to impacting our kids, then we're willing to work on it because we don't want it to impact them. And it's not about whether you cater to them and accommodate their anxiety or OCD or whether you advocate for them in another way. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. It's just that you're doing it for your child. Because in both my examples, one was I didn't want other people accommodating my child, like with my children's grandma, I don't want her coming in and rescuing them at night because we have something that we were doing. I didn't want her to swoop in. But two, sometimes my kids are not ready to tolerate an obnoxious, teasy uncle. (laughs) And so they need my help on that. So it's not about rescuing or not rescuing. It's just about meeting your kids where they're at. 
So I hope that helps you a little bit, gives you a little bit of empowerment on how to work on that. And if you're enjoying my podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you can hit a star on iTunes. There's a stars right below the name of the podcast. Just hit one and that submits a review. It's a great way to give back and let people know how you feel about my podcast. For those that take the time to write a review, I like to read those as a shout out to show my appreciation and gratitude for people who will take the extra few minutes to write something. So Terry wrote great resource for anxiety. This podcast has really helped with my three kids. All of them have anxiety and one shows signs of OCD. Thank you, Natasha. I'm so grateful for what you do. That sounds like my family. Thank you, Terry, for writing the review. I really appreciate it. I also want to give a shout out to Topo Kitty. She wrote best podcast about anxiety in children. This podcast has changed my life. I've been able to learn about anxiety and ways to help my child. She offers so much valuable information. The best podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you have something to say, please leave a review. And maybe next time I'll be reading your review. Well, I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I will talk to you next Tuesday. Take care. When I first discovered Natasha, I was in a desperate place with my son and his anxiety was getting worse. And we had tried counseling and it was not going well. Natasha gave us practical tools. She wasn't like the books that we had read that were, you know, you have three kids, but somehow you can magically spend 10 hours a day on your one anxious kid and just, you know, life is great for the other two. She's helped me understand OCD on a level that no therapist I have come across seems to understand. Natasha had practical real life advice that we started implementing the day that we listened to them. Not only did it help with our son's anxiety, it helped my husband and I to recognize um, the anxiety that we had in our parenting that was actually contributing to our children's anxiety. Her tools are, I mean, life-changing. She has been amazing, and I'm so thankful for the work that she provides to all of us who have children um, who battle anxiety and OCD. It is so exciting to see him about a year later just thriving in school. She really has guided us the whole way, and without her, our lives would be very different. We're very grateful. My husband and I are forever grateful to Natasha Daniels for helping us to figure out where to even start with anxiety. If you have a child with anxiety or OCD, she is your go-to woman. Parenting a child with anxiety is not easy, and sometimes it feels hopeless. And um, in a desperate time in my journey with my son, I started searching the internet and found Natasha Daniels. She has been a lifesaver. Her resources have given me hope. They've given me tools and support, and I I highly recommend her and her resources. They are phenomenal, and they're some of the best resources you can find out there for anxiety and OCD. Parenting a child with anxiety and OCD can be a confusing and lonely journey. It can leave you feeling hopeless and overwhelmed, but it doesn't have to be that way. Join me this January as I begin a new adventure, forming a new community where I'll be walking with you, supporting you, and building your skills and confidence to help your child not only survive, but thrive. I will get to know you and your family on a deeper, more personal level. I'll be able to give you guidance based on your needs 
and your situation. I hope you'll join me in this next chapter and see where it can bring you and your family. We don't get to choose if our child has anxiety or OCD, but we can choose what we do about it. To learn more about the AT Parenting Community, go to anxioustoddlers.com forward slash community or get on the wait list to join by texting AT Parent with no space to 44222. Together we can do this. She's really good, and I hope I'll be like her. I have had OCD for over five years. I have trained my brain, and you can do the same thing.